This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I am joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. You too. We're going to jump right in in just a moment. And before we do that, I just want to remind everybody, go to practicalshepherding.com and you can access all our resources there, including giving financially uh, to the ministry through the donate page there. So feel free to go there. And also, if you haven't written a review for us on Apple or whatever you listen to this through this podcast, feel free to go and write a review for us. It's, we, we look at those, uh, enjoy the feedback, appreciate the encouragement from that, and just helps us to, to learn and grow as you put those reviews up there. But Jim, as we customarily do, we want to jump right into to topic today. And one of the th- what we want to talk about today is something that I think is, is relevant for most any pastor with leaders, with fellow pastors, elders, even staff. And that is... Um, what, what do you do when staff or when, when your fellow pastors or other just church leaders are, there's either conflict going on, uh, there's, they're maybe not doing what they're supposed to be doing, mm. um, there's disappointment in your, at least your expectations you know, for them in that. And before I toss it to you on this, I, I want to just throw out there that I have found that when, especially when serving with, with a staff or even key leaders, if you have relational conflict in those kind of relationships, if you have staff, the church is paying, who's then not doing their job, and you have to try to... I have found there's no middle ground. Like It's either having staff and, and leaders that are just a, a joy, and you're moving along well, and serving together well, and enjoying There's a lot of joy in that. But when there's disappointment, or when there's laziness, or there's somebody not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or there's a relational conflict... The burden's equally great. I found mm. it's almost it doesn't feel like there's a middle ground. So that's that's um, what we want yeah. to tackle today. But any any thoughts just as far as how we how we want to think about this biblically before we dive into the the topic? Well, Brian, the the Bible talks so much about the explicitly uh, as it says in one of the Psalms how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, right? And obviously, our Lord prizes unity among his people. He prays about that and, and articulates the blessings of that in, in the upper room discourse and in his high priestly prayer. You have the multiple exhortations along the lines of being of the same mind. You, you, know, you, you read about the church and acts being of one accord and, uh, and all of that. And then you also read about the warnings about division and divisiveness and biting and devouring one another and thinking ill of one another. You have the encouragement in Philippians 2 to consider others more important than yourself. You have the uh, matter of the Corinthians taking you know uh, their judgments yeah. and d- division, even going to court against one another. And, and Paul says that he calls that an utter failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an utter failure among you uh, that you, you can't find a way to get along. A- and the problem comes... Brian, when uh, in, in a church situation where the the factions are, it would not say that what we are doing is rooted in carnality, but what we you know it is rooted in our conviction. It's rooted in our training. It's rooted in what we think is good and best for the church. And if you were to strap them to a lie detector test and pump them full of sodium pentothal. That would really be the case, uh, and and you know, so that's in some cases that's it's that's maybe easier in a sense because you have a bunch of people wanting to do what's right. But the reality is that carnality does come in, 
incompetence comes in, uh, lack of diligence comes in, poor training comes in, mm. and it can lead to a lot of frustration. Mm. And, you know, because, you know, we, we exhort and we encourage a lot here. What we see is a biblical pattern that there be a plurality of, of elders that you not labor by yourself. And you're thinking to yourself, this is a lot easier when I did labor by myself. This is true, right? Um, I didn't have all this conflict, you know. And yeah. the reality is introduce another person into the equation and there can begin to be conflict. And, and, uh, and so that, I, I also think Acts 20 as well. You think about the, you know, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders there to uh, take pay careful attention to yourself and the flock. And then he goes on to explain, because some from among you, talking right. about with, among the elders, will rise up as wolves to devour the flock. So, Yeah, and I think even there, Brian, when he says take heed to yourselves, he, he's talking about them caring for each other. Calling it, yeah, calling not, for each not other. Just, it's not just the individualism, like yeah. you see in Timothy, um, take heed to yourself and That's to the right. doctrine. But it's, it's, man, you need to take heed among... It, to yourselves and among yourselves and with yourselves because, yeah, there's the danger that some of you might try to lure away the disciples after themselves. You don't want to think that, but but that's obviously an apostolic warning, and that was a church that he planted and was in for three years. Yeah, right, right. And there were men that were obviously qualified to be elders, and yet there was a recognition that this could turn sour. So let's. there's some different categories we could hit. I want to try to hit these in bullet point form. The first one, this is maybe the more low-hanging fruit, I think, and that's staff who are paid by the church or affirmed pastors, elders, whatever, that are, for whatever reason, are clearly not doing what they've been asked to do. Mm. And the senior pastor, the lead pastor, usually is the one who is has oversight over the staff mm-hmm. and, and is the one that has to usually deal with this kind of situation. Yeah. So. Pastor listening to this, he's, by the way, I, I get this question on a regular basis. Okay. So I've got this staff person. Sometimes it's a guy who was brought on as the pastor and inherits staff. Right. And that's the most common time where a pastor's trying to deal with this. But I also know I have pastor friends who who went through a search and hired somebody. And they knew exactly what, what they wanted, and they thought they found that guy. And then he ends up not being that guy. And then what do you do when you've been the one to hire him? So... Uh, what are just general advice you would give to a pastor who's dealing with a staff person or a you know like, like an elder pastor type in the church that's maybe a lay lay elder who's clearly not doing what they should be? How, how would you advise them? Well, I, mean, I think you have to make sure that you have first of all clearly articulated uh, roles and perhaps even having some kind of a position paper or. Uh, a staff write up of what the, these are your expectations, the expectations and, and, right. you know, so that they're not vague, that it's not just um, conduct a Bible study and <clears throat> oversee the youth. But what we mean by that is that every week you're meeting with somebody that every weekend you have a Bible study, not just that you do it whenever you feel like it. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think that, that, it, you, if you're going to address it, it needs to be addressed along the lines of uh, that there were specific actions that were required and that there are therefore specific violations. You know, So like if you were to go to the a cleaning staff and to say, you know, why aren't the chairs arranged? Why aren't the you know hymnals put back? Or why hasn't the floor been mopped? Because it's you know, a tangible the, the, expectation. Yeah, you have right, a yeah. punch list or right. whatever that it's helpful for them. It's helpful for the staff that this is what your expectation is, and yep. then you have something you can point to so that it's not vague. Because if it's vague, 
and you come to them and say, I'm disappointed. And they say, well, you never articulated that to me. I didn't have any idea. And maybe you're brooding over it. Like, I can't believe they're not doing what right. I wanted I them it. to do. I did what you asked, but I just didn't do it in the way you wanted me to right. do it. Yep. Right, right. So, so I think it's helpful where there is uh, that among the staff that you have a there should be a relational element right. and that is again that the that and i think where there is camaraderie and where there is friendship and where there is openness that that's the groundwork from which you can you can deal with the situation that you're not just the the you know the boss that comes in and and barks out orders or you know whatever else and expresses right. disappointment and fires people or whatever right but did you come alongside them as an older as an older brother or as a father even mm-hmm. Uh, and encourage and exhort and lead and direct. You know, so I think that's the first step. When we'll get into then, if that yeah. if that's not effectual, right. but I think that's where that needs to begin. I think there needs to be a, a relationship built, and there needs to be a clear, mutually agreed upon articulation of, of duty. And however that's done, whether it's, you have a staff booklet or you you have it, because I do think some churches have it. It's just kind of, it's kind of vague what the yeah. expectations of an elder are, what the expectations of a youth minister are. Yeah. And it's just go out there and do that, yeah. and, and rather than understand these are your hours. This is where we expect you to be here. This is what we expect out of you. So I think it has to be clearly articulated. That's really helpful, and I, I think you you've hit on an important point here, and that's that pastors who are naturally self starters assume the guy they hired is that way. Mm-hmm. So they write a job description thinking. A lot of times it comes just it's vague because churches don't know any better. Right. But I want to give a pastor credit. He actually knows what he wants him to do. But he's expecting him to be a self-starter and to read between the lines. So I'm just going to bullet list. Here's your job description. Go, go do right. it and make it your own. Uh, guys who aren't self-starters like that, that that's actually really frustrating for guys for guys like that. So I, I think that's helpful. I'll also add to what you're talking about the the communication and trust element within mm. a staff role. The with doing a lot of revitalization work and advising a lot of guys in revitalization work. A lot of times, again, you're you're inheriting staff, and so the idea that you have to come in and win the church, win their trust, is the same idea with mm-hmm. staff, mm-hmm. and so that's really what. To, exactly what you just mentioned and that's that you have to work particularly hard to relationally earn the trust of that staff person so you can get them to do stuff because you're the boss and you pay them mm-hmm. but that is not an ideal way to have to try to relate to your staff as pastors so you know you want to have a relation you want to have a trust you you want to motivate them because you want them to they you want them to want to make you proud and mm-hmm. want to want to want you to um be supportive and and to you know gain your encouragement versus he's I'm gonna get fired if I don't like that's that's where the that's where business practice comes into the church I think in an unhelpful mm-hmm. way I think mm-hmm. the church relationships with staff it needs to be pastor you alluded to it just kind of even father mentor type relationship mm. is ideal I think and especially if a pastor who has oversight over staff takes advantage of that in a good way to use it for their good can. Can really shape and mold his staff, and mm. and I would say, and, and on top of that, from a pragmatic standpoint, you you get the most out of your staff mm. and leaders when you're right. motivating them in in a way versus a top down fear monger culture, which is quite frankly really common in not just past and not just churches, but but uh, 
Christian institutions in, mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, we so, certainly uh, are hearing horror stories um, to that regard. Yeah, so Brian, I think you you bring up something. That I think that's that's important, and and one of them is that we need to we need to be. There's so much that goes into this, but you know there there, there is a reality that leaders leadership can be corrupted, and that and that power and authority can be corrupted, and that and so we have to be careful on the one hand that we. We not abuse that with a with a bullying tactic of getting everyone on with my vision or whatever else right. that we're keeping in mind that we are servants in the church, striving after the edification and the good and the protection of the flock and making sure the flock is cared for. Uh, and it's not just that um, I've got my leadership style and my personality. I'm going to make sure everybody lines up with that. I think there has to be an understanding that some of this is going to be done differently. What we're getting at and what we're really trying to articulate is that there is a failure to, to care for the flock. Somebody's not doing their job or they're not doing their job well. Right, right. And that we might need help and, under, and uh, with others to evaluate that, to say, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you concerned about it? Uh, how do and then ask and then we're going to ask the question now. How do we go about addressing it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think Brian, you bring up rightly the fact we we need to be some t- suspicious of our own hearts and and ask the hard questions of ourselves. Am I just being? Is it just my personality? Is it just that I'm demanding everybody do things the way that I do? Do I really have the good of the flock in mind? And is there really a clear violation of an agreed upon principle or action here? Right. Yeah. Self-awareness is so key for a pastor who has oversight over staff and other leaders, because you've got to be aware of how you show up with them, how they're impacted by you. I've watched, I've watched pastors who, who there's a revolving door of staff that they have Mm. and they, and they're unaware of eventually what is the most common thread when it comes to this particular situation. Right. It's you. It's you. So, right. you know, I, when a pastor lacks self-awareness, he's always going to potentially blame it on that person that's not getting whatever we're wanting them to get or do whatever you're asking them to do. So I do want to I want to throw that out there. But but on another note, I, w- I want to shift to another bullet point, and that's and, and not just the – you're just – you know, somebody's just not doing what they're supposed to be. I mean, you have to continue to address that. And mm-hmm. and I think pastors do have the hard task of, especially if it's a staff person being paid by the church, right. who's not doing their job. We we do have a responsibility to steward uh, that position, that money that's being used by the church. So we, almost a separate podcast, I guess, trying to talk about that. But I want to shift to a different bullet point that I think is even more common. Disagreements mm-hmm. among staff and mm-hmm. and fellow pastors elders who are the ones the decision makers in the church cannot agree on what the decision needs to be mm-hmm. and i think this is whether you have staff or not this is happens in in every church and i want i want to shift to this cuz i think this is part of this conversation we are coming out of a year too jim as everybody exactly. knows that that this came to light in a serious way if people had not experienced it. and i i think in the, in two specific areas around you know the the mask no mask and gatherings issues around the the pandemic and the the volatile political uh, election that we walked through last year though the the combination then you add the 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 race issues that were going mm-hmm. those three pieces too right but i let's just go to the the pandemic the decisions around gathering not gathering how to do that masks no masks i mean man there was just so much disagreement within churches and there i would argue there were 
all around conscience issues ultimately. Yeah. So that probably captures the essence of the difficulty of, of disagreement in that some things aren't aren't as much conscience issues as much as just maybe doing hard things that the Bible would you know, command us to do. Right. When you're talking about conscience issues, it, it makes it a whole other challenge. Wouldn't you agree around that? I agree. And, and you know, we had to walk through that. So we have four elders in our church. We have four elders and four deacons. And to get all of us on the same page with everything, we're really all of us were, I mean, getting us all on the same page was one thing, getting us all comfortable with something was another. I don't think we were ever all on the same page mm-hmm. uh, in regard to how to handle it or even how to think about it. Uh, how dangerous was it? Um, or, and why would what would motivate us to make the decisions that we did? Uh, do you simply, do you take Romans 13 and work that out and say our civil authorities have said uh, we're to do this, and, theref- and, and therefore you do it. And whether it's unreasonable or not, it's, it's not the issue. You submit, and we're to be submissive people to to authority. Is yep. is is that? Um, in what way does it hinder? And how do? You know, what are the greater issues at stake? And all of that. And we never really, you know, agreed fully on how dangerous is this. What's the best? You know, what's the best way to protect the flock? What are our chief things that we're trying to convey, and and, and all of that? Never like there was never like a hundred percent. All of us agree, and and yet we had to make decisions, and and we had to lead. Yeah. And, and so the question is, when you've got four elders, you have the potential of a stalemate: two thinking one way and two thinking another way. That's right. And asking yourself things like, okay, how strong is this conviction? Uh, who do we, you know, it, it, what's the potential harm? What's the potential good if we go this way or that way? And for us, again, there were hours and hours and hours right. of discussion. Uh, I, I, I had tended, as things, particularly as things went on, I was much more on the, I think we're fine. I think we can keep meeting. I think we can. Uh, I think we're taking we're taking a few precautions. I think even those may be extreme. Right. Uh, others wanted us to do everything that the CDC follow every bit of the CDC guideline, and that was a conscience issue. Uh, and my sense of you know wanting to go more on the element of freedom, I had conscience issues. You know, with that too. Right. And, you know, so it was. Those things were difficult, and the, but it was in the context of people who love each other, respect each other, who were after a common goal to honor God, to obey God, and to implement those things. And, but, and then in some cases, it was a question of how much weight does one thing have over another. Right. And I think because we were able to view each other that way, it, it made it easier. And because I think we have, at least in our own way of doing things, we tend to be this part of the way I am. I tend to be conflict averse, and some of that's due to my, some of that's conscience, some of that's due to the way that I was raised. I was raised in a, a home where there was some degree of abuse and a lot of emotional volatility, and and I just you know as a child began to shrink back from. Mm-hmm. I just did not want to get into arguments and mm-hmm. didn't want to you know see things escalate. Other guys kind of thrive on that. I yeah. I was not one of those. Right. Uh, and so, you know, things begin to get heated. There's a part of me sometimes that draws back unless, you know, again, it is like, hey, this is clearly what the scripture says. And we've got to do it. Yeah. 
it's it's that in between. It's that we could go this way and we could go that way. And scriptures could pull us this way and they could pull us that way, depending on how you view it. It's not like there's a heretic in our midst. There's a divisive person. We need to handle it. There's a you know strong case of discipline, and 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 we've just got to deal with it. And you got to live out the consequences. The hardest thing is where there are really biblical debates going on. Yeah. And yet you have to lead. You have to come to a decision. You have to go forward. And, and, you know, whether it's in this case or whatever is going to come down the pike, at some point that leadership has to come and to say this is what we're going to do rather than we're going to keep kicking the can down the road until we can all agree. Well, here's where this got complicated, too, around the pandemic that I that I found in working with churches is that – so let's say the, the pastors, that, that the elders, whatever, that, that governing authoritative – group is they would make a decision maybe even be in agreement on something finally after all the conversation they go to the staff or they go to the leaders of ministries and ask them to carry it out and that those leaders have problems that the Mm -hmm. staff members have conscience issues around i have i watched that happen around the so you've got you've got elders that made a decision about how children's ministry is going to get back into the into the swing of things after post pandemic right and you got Children, you know, you have children's leaders and ministry leaders who had a different understanding of this, and they're being asked to carry out something that they would say is against their conscience. So it was just interesting how, I mean, it was really fascinating how this brought up all these dynamics around, even, you know, not just from the, the pastor elder level, but but also the staff and even ministry volunteers. I mean, asking people to carry out what those decisions have been made when you're talking about conscience issues that there's a lot of disagreement around created some really interesting situations in churches. And I was, and I'm still involved. It's interesting in 2021. Now I am in the middle of several situations where, uh, the fallout of Mm. those arguments, those disagreements in elders meetings Mm. and among pastors and among staff, uh, I'm actually, I'm in the middle of several situations where, those things are resolved. They're not having to deal with them anymore. The relational carnage that came out of yeah. those conversations. So I think that's just why this is an important conversation. One, to reflect on for what just happened, but also to plan for the future in that what is at stake is not just how to make this decision. What is at stake so often in these situations are the relationships between the leaders right. and the staff. And so if there's any big takeaway, I would say, from this topic that we're talking about, is that that pastors and leaders and staff all need to take stock of their relationships with each other. And a lot of times these hard decisions, these disagreements that come, a lot of times they come out of friction that already exists within relationships, and then it just rises to the top. And so to be mindful of what your personal relationships are with each other, because these are the moments where they'll come out. Yeah, I think that's an important issue, Brian, that you, you... There's the issue, and then there's the things that are beyond the issue. And, and, you know, the issue, particularly when you have strong convictions, one of the things COVID brought about, there are really strong convictions uh, on on several different fronts. I mean, really strong. I mean, to the point of, you know, you're, this is tyranny versus, you know, a love thy neighbor and, and right. you know, uh, I mean, to the point, again, where in some cases, you know, churches imploded over this, and, and it shouldn't surprise us that on a staff or on a, a group of elders that there would be those differences. And I think the ability to be able to listen to people who differ from you when you have a very strong 
conviction, again, take mask, no mask. I'm strongly convinced that wearing a mask is the loving thing to do. I'm strongly convinced that wearing a mask is a foolish thing to do or whatever, and that it conveys things of truth. If we are convinced that that our staff is made up of of good-hearted people who love the Lord and are trying to do what's right. If we, if we, that's that's being of the same mind toward each other, even if you come to different conclusions. That it's possible. Is it possible that a Christ-loving person would come to a different view, On that, a different yeah. understanding, and and it doesn't make them a racist or a communist or doesn't make and that kind of volatility that's going on today. You disagree with me on the on how this issue ought to work out. Therefore, you're 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 not just wrong. It's like you're evil. Yeah. And and uh and to be able to say, listen, brethren of of goodwill. So let's start there. We love each other. And one of the things I dealt with a lot, Brian, over this year, and I don't get too far off of this, was Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are hidden things that belong to the Lord. There are revealed things. And this issue of how we view each other, how we see each other as deeply loved by Christ, as, as a, hey, I've listened to you. I believe you're trying to do what's right. And we say to maybe then say, because I'm convinced of that, I'm willing to hear you. I'm I'm willing to be convinced because part of that's part of the wisdom that's from above is right. willing to be persuaded. Uh, it's it's it versus the wisdom that's from beneath the wisdom that's you know that you're willing to yield, you're willing to be persuaded, you're willing to hear somebody articulate, and you're willing to change. And I think that that's important. And but then also in a good relationship, they're also then willing to hear you, yeah, willing right. to be persuaded, willing to change. And so I think that that's a, that whole getting back to this whole this relational view. That that leadership is in some ways a microcosm of a body that's diverse, yeah. and, and some of that diversity is for the help and the protection of the church and for the balance of the church, and that we be able to enter into that and not view somebody who disagrees with me as my as necessar- as my enemy, as yeah. an enemy of truth, an enemy of the church, an enemy of the of unity. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it harder in some ways, but I think it also makes it better, uh, and it and it allows us to have the groundwork to move to move forward. I have two final thoughts, and then I'll throw it to you for one an, uh, your final thought, and that is, leadership is about having to make hard decisions. Exactly. Uh, so if you know, don't begrudge the fact that sometimes you just got to make decisions together, find the middle ground you best you can, and move forward, and realize you're never going to please everybody. That's part of the lot of being a leader, and certainly we've been reminded of that this past year. But, but I throw that out there that that's going to always be the case when we're having to make decisions, when we're trying. We can't always please the staff, but there's a reason there's an authoritative structure in place to know who answers to who, who's in charge of who, and that we. And we just have to lead the best we can, being as loving as we can in the midst of it, whether it's in disagreement or even disappointment of, of, of somebody not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The second thing I would say is that that this is why friendship and trust, I think, has to be a, a part of our relationship, certainly as past fellow pastor elders, but also staff. Like having a good relationship with your staff in your church to where you enjoy being with them; they enjoy being with you. Mm-hmm. That you have you have a relationship and an, a dialogue and an interaction outside of work stuff. Right. Uh, that's th- that is crucial. I found in the church, in the business world, you can you can get away with that in a way I don't think you can in the church. If right. you don't have some kind of personal relationship, trust, and affection for each other, it's going to be feel like a business relationship 
which is not good in the church for right. that to be solely. So I would encourage anybody who's leading a, a staff or leading other leaders to make sure you're making that relational uh, connection and investment in those people. That's how they're actually going. To, that's going to be the best case scenario, how they'll, they'll follow you. So any final thought on this, Jim? Yeah, Brian, I think I don't want to open a can of worms at the end here. I do think that we also need to, to reckon, we need to ensure that we are, we as leaders are listeners and that mm-hmm. we ourselves are willing to yield, that it's not just getting them to agree with us. It's the recognition that we might be wrong. And, and sometimes I think in particularly among the, uh, the elders that it needs to be seen. And I've tried to do this cause I've been at it for 31 years and it's just natural for the guys to defer to me uh, on an issue or not to move forward unless I give the okay. Yeah, right, right. Is to show that I'm willing to be pastored by them as mm-hmm. well, and I'm willing to yield to their wisdom, even even where, you know, not where I have strong moral disagreement, but where I think I'm not yet persuaded. I have my own view, but I'm willing to I'm willing to yield. I think that that's an important element of leadership, uh, particularly. Christian leadership within the church. And also plurality. Like it makes it hard, but the essence of God's design, I'm convinced, is that we disagree to help figure out what God's will is in certain areas. Right. And to, to be able to listen and be sharpened by uh, and open to hearing from others in those particular ways, I think not only helps us grow, but it also ultimately shapes us around the will of God for us. And yeah. I, I know we've both seen that time and time again in a heated discussion, disagreement. You find that you make a decision, you find that middle ground, and, and God shows that that was actually the place that you needed right. to live. You, so. you don't want to find elders who are merely wimpy oh, yes men. That, that's and, a, and that's, that's too a, often what I think too many men desire. They're trying to find weak-willed men who will prop them up in all their decisions. Yeah. It's a blessing to have godly men knowledgeable men at times challenge you on how you're thinking. That's well said. Will you take a minute and pray for uh, pastors around this? Yes. Father in heaven, we desire uh, so much the the good and edification of of the body of Christ. And uh, Father, we thank you for those times when uh, in our leadership, we're all in easy agreement and we see things the same way and and, uh, the pathway is is light. Uh, Father, thank you for that. We Though, Lord, ask that you would give special help and special grace um, to lead where we need to lead and to follow where uh, it is righteous for us to do. Father, we, we throw our hands up at times and say, who's sufficient for these things? We thank you for the presence of your spirit. We thank you for the, the guidance of your word and pray, Lord, you'd help us all to walk in wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.